0: Chapter 14. During dinner, Mr. Bennett scarcely spoke at all, but when the servant was withdrawn, he thought it was time to have some conversation with his guest, and therefore started a subject in which he expected him to shine, by observing that he seemed very fortunate in his patronage. Lady Catherine de Bourgh's attention to his wishes and consideration for his comfort appeared very remarkable. Mr. Bennet could not have chosen better. Mr. Collins was elegant in her praise. The subject elated him to more than a usual solemnity of matter, and with the most important aspect he protested that he had never in his life witnessed such behavior in a person of rank, such a and condensation, as he had himself experienced from Lady Catherine. She had been graciously pleased to approve of both of the discourses which he had already the honor of preaching before her. She had also asked him twice to dine at Rossing's, and had sent for him only the Saturday before to make up her pool of a quadrille in the evening. Lady Catherine was reckoned proud by many people he knew, but he had never seen anything but affability in her. He had always spoken to him as she would any other gentleman. She had not made the smallest objection to his joining in the society of the neighborhood, nor his leaving the parish occasionally for a week or two to visit his relations. She had even condescended to advise him to marry as soon as he could, provided he chose with discretion and had once paid him a visit in his humble parsonage, where she had perfectly approved of the altercations he had been making, and had been vouchsafed to suggest some herself, some of the shelves in the closet upstairs. "'That is all very proper and civil, I am sure,' said Miss Bennet, and I dare say she is a very agreeable woman. "'It is a pity that great ladies in general are not more like her. "'Does she live near you, sir?' The garden in the park which stands my humble abode is separated only by a lane from Rossings Park, her ladyship's residence. I think you said she was a widow, sir. Has she any family? She has only one daughter, the heiress of Rossings and a very extensive property. Ah, Miss Bennett said, shaking her head, then she is better off than many girls. What kind of sort of young lady is she? Is she handsome? She is the most charming young lady, indeed. Lady Catherine herself says that, in point of true beauty, Mr. Berg is far superior to the handsomest of her sex, because there is that in her features which marks the young lady of distinguished birth. She is unfortunately of a sick constitution, which has prevented her from taking that progress in many accomplishments, which she could not have otherwise failed of as I am informed by the lady who superintended her education, who still resides with them. But she is a perfectly admirable and often condescends to drive my humble boat in her little fanton and ponies. Has she been presented? I do not remember her name among the ladies at court. Her indifferent state of health unhappily prevents her from being in town, and by that means, as I am told, Lady Catherine one day has deprived the British court of its brightest ornaments. Her ladyship seemed pleased with the idea, and you may imagine that I am very happy in every occasion to offer those little delicate compliments which are always acceptable to the ladies. I have more than once observed Lady Catherine that her charming daughter seemed born to be a duchess, and that the most elevated rank, instead of giving her consequence, These are the little things which please her ladyship, and it is a sort of attention which I conceive myself particularly bound to pay. You judge very properly, said Mr. Bennet, and it is happy for you that you possess the talent of flattering with a delicacy. May I ask whether these pleasing attentions proceed from the impulse of the moment, or are they the result of a previous study? They arise chiefly from what is passing at the time, and though I sometimes amuse myself with the suggestions and the arranging of such little elegant compliments as may be adapted to the ordinary occasions, I always wish to give them an unstudied an air as possible. Mr. Bennet's expectations were fully answered. His cousin was absurd as he had hoped, and he listened to him with the keenest enjoyment, maintaining at the same time the most resolved composure of countenance, and accepting the occasional glance at Elizabeth, requiring no partner in his pleasure. By tea time, however, the dose had been enough, and Mr. Bennett was glad to take his guests into the drawing-room again, and, when tea was over, glad to invite him to read aloud to the ladies. Mr. Collins was readily assented, and a book was produced— but on beholding it, for everything announced it to be from a circulating library, he started back and, begging for a pardon, protested that he never read novels. Kitty stared at him, and Lydia exclaimed, Other books were produced, but after some deliberation, he chose Foytsey's sermons. Lydia gaped as she opened the volume, and before he had with a very monotonous solemnity read three pages, she had interrupted him with, you know, Mama, that my Uncle Phelps talks of turning away Richard, and if he does, Colonel Foster will hire him. My aunt told me herself on Saturday. I shall walk to Maryton tomorrow to hear more about it, and to ask when Mr. Denny comes back from town. Lydia was bid by her two eldest sisters to hold her tongue, but Mr. Collins, much offended, lay aside his book and said, I have observed how little young ladies are interested by books of a serious stamp though written solely for their benefit. It amazes me, I confess, for certainly there can be nothing so advantageous to them as instruction, but I will no longer importune my young cousin. Then turning to Mr. Bennet, he offered himself as his antagonist at Backgammon. Mr. Bennet accepted the challenge, observing that he had acted very wisely in leaving the girls to their own trifling amusements. Miss Bennet and her daughters apologized most civilly for Lydia's interruptance and promised it should not occur again, if he would resume his book. But Mr. Collins, after assuring them that he bore his young cousin no ill will and would never resent her behaviors as any affront, seated himself at the table with Mr. Bennet and prepared for backgammon. Chapter 15 Mr. Collins was not a sensible man, and the deficiency of nature had been but little assisted by education or society, the greatest part of his life having spent under the guidance of an illiterate and miserably father, and though he belonged to one of the universities, he had merely kept the necessary terms without forming it to any useful acquaintance. The subjection in which his father had brought him up had originally given him great humility of manner, but it was now a great deal counteracted by the self-conceit of a weak head, living in retirement, and the consequences of feelings of early and unexpected prosperity. A fortune chance had recommended him to Lady Catherine de Burr when the living of Huntsford was vacant. In the respect for which he felt for her high rank, and his veneration for her as his patroness, mingling with a very good opinion of himself, of his authority as a clergyman, his right as a rector made him altogether a mixture applied in obsequiousness, self-important, and humility. Having now a good house and a very sufficient income, he intended to marry, and in seeking a reconciliation with the Longburn family, he had a wife in view, as he meant to chose one of the daughters if he found them as handsome and admirable as they were represented by common report. This was his plan of amends, of atonement for inheriting their father's estate. He thought it was an excellent one full of eligibility and suitableness, and excessively generous and disinterested on his own part. The next morning, however, made an altercation, for in a quarter of an hour's tête-à-tête with Miss Bennet before breakfast, a conversation beginning with his parsonage house and leading naturally to the avowment of his hopes that a mistress might be found for it at Longburn, Produced from her, amid a very of smiles and general encouragement, a caution against the very Jane that he had fixed on. As to her younger daughters, she could not take it upon herself to say, she could not positively answer. But she did not know any prepossession of her eldest daughter, she must just mention. She felt it incumbent on her to hint, was likely very soon to be engaged. Mr. Collins had only to change from Jane to Elizabeth, and it was soon done, and done with Miss Bennet stirring the fire. Elizabeth, equally to Jane in birth and beauty, succeeded her, of course. Miss Bennet treasured up the hint and trusted that she might soon have two daughters married, and the men whom she could not bear to speak of the day before was now in her high good graces. Lydia's intention walking the Merrington was not forgotten. Every sister except Mary agreed to go with her, and Mr. Collins was to attend them at the request of Mr. Bennet, who was most anxious to get rid of him, and have his library to himself, for tither Mr. Collins had followed him after breakfast, and there he would continue, nominally engaged with one of the largest folios in the collection, but really talking to Mr. Bennet with little cessation of his house and his garden at Huntsford. Doing such things discomposed Mr. Bennett exceedingly. In his library, he had always been sure of leisure and tranquility. And though prepared, as he told Elizabeth, to meet with folly and conceit in every other room of the house, he was used to be free from them there. His civility, therefore, was most prompt in inviting Mr. Collins to join his daughters in their walk. And Mr. Collins, being, in fact, much better fitted for a walker than a reader, was extremely pleased to close his large book and go. And pumping nothings on his side and civil assents on that of his cousins, their time passed till they entered Merriton. The attention of the younger ones was then no longer to be gained by him. Their eyes were immediately wandering up the street in a quest to the officers, and nothing less than a very smart bonnet indeed, or really a new muslin in a shop window, could recall them. But the attention of every lady was soon caught by a young man, whom they had never seen before, of the most gentlemanlike appearance, walking with another officer on the other side of the way. The officer was the very Mr. Denny, concerning whose return from London Lydia, came to inquire, and he bowed as they passed. All were struck with the stranger's air, all wondered who he could be, and Kitty and Lydia, determined if possible to find out, led the way across the street, under pretense of wanting something in an opposite shop, and fortunately had just gained the pavement when the two gentlemen turning back had reached the same spot. Mr. Denny addressed them directly and entreated permission to introduce his friend, Mr. Wickham, who had returned with him the day before from town and was happy to say he had accepted the commission in their corpse. His appearance was greatly in his favor. He had all the best parts of beauty, a found countenance, and a good figure, and a very pleasing address. The introduction was followed up on his side by a happy readiness of conversation, a readiness at the same time perfectly correct and unassuming the whole party was still standing and talking to each other very agreeable, when the sound of horses drew their notice, and Darcy and Bingley were seen riding down the street. On distinguishing the ladies of the group, the two gentlemen came directly towards them and began the usual civilties. Bingley was the principal spokesman, and Miss Bennett the principal object. He was then, he said, on his way to Longbourn on purpose to inquire after her. Mr. Darcy collaborated it with a bow, and was beginning to determine not to fix his eyes on Elizabeth when they were suddenly arrested by the sight of the stranger, and Elizabeth happening to see the countenance of both as they looked at each other was all astonishment at the effort of the meeting. Both changed color. One looked white, the other red. Mr. Wickham, after a few moments, touched his hat A salutation which Mr. Darcy had just deemed to return. What could be the meaning of it? In another minute, Mr. Bingley, but without seeming to have noticed what had passed, took leave and rode on with his friend. Mr. Denny and Mr. Wickham walked with the young ladies to the door of Mr. Phelps' house, and then made their bows in spite of Miss Lydia's pressings entreaties that they should come in, and even in spite of Miss Phelps throwing up the parlor window and loudly seconding the invitation. Mrs. Phelps was always glad to see her nieces, and the two eldest. From their recent absence, were particularly welcome, and she was eagerly expressing her surprise at their sudden return home, which, as her own carriage had not been fetched for them, she should have known nothing about, If she had not happened to see Mr. Jones's shop boy in the street, who had told her that they were not to send any more draughts to Netherfield because the Miss Bennetts were come away, with her and her civility was claimed towards Mr. Collins by Jane's introduction of him. She received him with her very best politeness, which she returned with as much more apologizing for his intrusion, without any previous acquaintance with her, which he could not help flattering himself however, might be justified by his relationship to the young ladies who introduced him to her notice. Miss Phelps was quite awed by such an excess of good breeding, but her contemplation of one stranger was soon put to an end by exclamations and inquiries about the other, of whom, however, she could only tell her nieces that they already knew, that Mr. Denny had brought with him from London, and that he was to have a lieutenant's commission in the Shire. She had been watching him the last hour, she said, as he walked up and down the street, and had Mr. Wickham appeared, Kitty and Lydia would certainly have continued the occupation, but unluckily no one passed windows now except a few of the officers, who, in comparison with the stranger, were become stupid, disagreeable fellows." Some of them were at the dine with the Phelpses the next day, and their aunt promised to make her husband call in Mr. Wickham and give him an invitation also, if the famous Lily from Longburn would come in the evening. This was agreed to, and Mrs. Phelps protested that they would have a nice, comfortable, noisy game of lottery tickets and a little bit of hot supper afterwards. The prospect of such delights were very cheering, and they parted in mutual good spirits. Mr. Collins repeated his apologies in quitting the room, and was assured with unwavering civility that they were perfectly needless. As they walked home, Elizabeth related to Jane what she had seen pass between the two gentlemen, but though Jane would have been defended either or both, they had appeared to be in the wrong. She could no more explain such behavior than her sister. Mr. Collins, on his return, highly gratified Miss Bennet by admiring Miss Phelps's manners and politeness. He protested it, except Lady Catherine and her daughter had never seen a more elegant woman, for he had not only received him with the most utmost civility, but had even pointedly included him in her invitation for the next evening, although utterly unknown to her before. Something, he supposed, might be attributed to his connections with them, but yet he had never met with so much attention in the whole course of his life. Chapter 16 As no objection was made to the young people's engagement with their aunt— and all Mr. Colling's rules of leaving Mr. and Mrs. Bennett for a single evening during his visit were most likely steady resisted. The coach conveyed him and his five cousins at a suitable hour to Merrington, And the girls had the pleasure of hearing, as they entered the drawing room, that Mr. Bookham had accepted their uncle's invitation and was then in the house. When this information was given, and they all had taken their seats, Mr. Collins was at leisure to look around him and admire, and he was so much struck with the size of the furniture of the apartment that he declared he might almost have supported himself in the small summer breakfast parlor at Rossings, a comparison that did not first convey much gratification. But when Miss Phelps understood from him what Rossings was— and who was its proprietor when she had listened to the description of only one of Lady Catherine's drawing rooms and found that the chimney piece alone had the cost of 800 pounds. She felt at once the force of the compliment and would hardly have resented a comparison with the housekeeper's room. In describing all... uh, of the grandeur of Lady Catherine and her mansion, with occasional digressions in praise of his own humble abode, all the improvements it was receiving, he was happily employed until the gentlemen joined them, and he found in Miss Phelps a very attentive listener, whose opinion of his conscience increased with what she heard, and who was resolving to retail it among her neighbors as soon as she could. To the girls, who could not listen to their cousin, and who had nothing to do but wish for an instrument and examine their own indifferent imitations of China on the mantelpiece, the interval of waiting appeared very long. It was over at last, however. The gentleman did approach, and when Mr. Wickham walked into the room, Elizabeth felt that she had neither been seeing him before nor thinking of him since with the smallest degree of unreasonable admiration. The officers of the... Shire were in general a very credible gentleman's set, and the best of them were the present party, but Mr. Wickham was far beyond them all in person, countenance, air, and walk, as they were superior to the broad-faced, stuffy Uncle Phelps, breathing port wine who followed them into the room. Mr. Wickham was the happy man towards whom almost every female eye was turned, and Elizabeth was the happy woman by whom he finally seated himself, and the agreeable manner in which he immediately fell into conversation, though it was only on its being a wet night, made her feel the commonest, dullest, most thoroughbred topic might be rendered interesting by the skill of the speaker." With such rivals for the notice of the fair in Mr. Wiggum and the officers, Mr. Collins seemed to sink into insignificance. As to the young ladies, he certainly was nothing, but he had still at intervals a kind listener in Mrs. Phelps, and was, by her watchfulness, most abundantly supplied with coffee and muffin. When the card tables were placed, he had the opportunity of obliging her in return by sitting down to whist. I know little of the game at present, he said, but I shall be glad to improve myself, for in my situation in life, Miss Phelps was very glad for his compliance, but could not wait for his reason. Mr. Wickham did not play at whist, and, with ready delight, he was received at the other table between Elizabeth and Lydia. At first, there seemed danger of Lydia's engrossing him entirely, for she was a most determined talker, But likewise extremely fond of lottery tickets, she soon grew too much interested in the game, too eager in making bets and exclaiming after prizes to have attention for anyone in particular. Allowing for the common demands of the game, Mr. Wickham was therefore at leisure to talk to Elizabeth, and she was very willing to hear him out. Though what she chiefly wished to hear, she could not hope to be told, the history of his acquaintance with Mr. Darcy." She dared not even mention that gentleman. Her curiosity, however, was unexpectedly relieved. Mr. Wickham began the subject himself. He inquired how Netherfield was from Marrington, and, after receiving her answer, asking in a hesitantly manner how long Mr. Darcy had been staying there. "'About a month,' said Elizabeth, and then, unwilling to let the subject drop, added, "'He is a man of very large property in Derbyshire, I understand.' ''Yes,'' replied Mr. Wiggum, ''his estate there is a noble one, a clear ten thousand per annum.'' ''You could not have met with a person more capable of giving you certain information on that head than myself, for I have been connected with this family in a particular manner from my infancy.'' Elizabeth could not but look surprised. ''Well, you may be surprised, Miss Bennet, at such an assertion, after seeing, as you probably might, the very cold manner of her meeting yesterday.'' "'Are you much acquainted with Mr. Darcy?' "'As much as I ever wish to be,' cried Elizabeth very warmly. "'I have spent four days in the same house with him, "'and I think him very disagreeable.' "'I have no right to give my opinion,' said Wickham, "'as to being his agreeable or otherwise. "'I am not qualified to form one. "'I have known him too long and too well to be a fair judge. "'It is impossible for me to be impartial.' but I believe your opinion of him would be in general astonished, and perhaps you would not express it quite so strongly anywhere else. Here you are in your own family. Here, upon my word, I will say no more here than I might say in any house in the neighborhood except Netherfield. He is not likable at all at Hertfordshire. Everyone is disgusted with this pride. You will not find him more favorably spoken of by anyone. I cannot pretend to be sorry, said Wickham after a short interruption, that he or any other man should not be estimated beyond their deserts, but with him I do believe it does not often happen. The world is blinded by his fortune and consequence, or frightened by his high and imposing manners, and sees him only as he chooses to be seen. I should take him, even on my slight acquaintance, to be an ill-tempered man. Wickham only shook his head. "'I wonder,' he said, at the next opportunity of speaking, "'whether he is likely to be in the country much longer. "'I do not know at all, "'but I heard nothing of his going away when I was at Netherfield. "'I hope your plans in favor of the Shire "'will not be affected by his being in the neighborhood. "'Oh, no, it is not for me to be driven away by Mr. Darcy. "'If he wishes to avoid seeing me, he must go.' but we are not on friendly terms, and it always gives me pain to meet him, but I have no reason for avoiding him but what I might proclaim before all the world a sense of very great ill-usage and most painful regrets of his being at what he is. His father, Miss Bennet, the late Mr. Darcy, was one of the best men that ever breathed and the truest friend I ever had and I can never be in company with this Darcy without being grieved by a soul of a thousand tender recollections. His behavior to myself has been scandalous, but I verily believe I could forgive him anything and everything, rather than his disappointment in the hopes and disgracing of the memory of his father. Elizabeth found the interest of the subject increase and listened with all of her heart, but the delicacy of it prevented further inquiry. Mr. Wickham began to speak on the more general topics, maryton, the neighborhood, the society, and appearing highly pleased of all that he had yet seen, and speaking with the latter but gentle but in very intelligible gallantry. It was the most prospect of constant society and good society, he added, which was my chief inductment to enter the Shire. I knew it to be a most respectable, agreeable corpse, and my friend Denny tempted me further by his account of their present quarters, and the very great attentions and excellent acquaintances Merrington had procured them. Society I own is necessary to me. I have been a disappointed man, and my spirits will not Bear solitude. I must have employment in society. Military life is not what I intended for, but circumstances have made it eligible. The church ought to have been my profession. I was brought up for the church. I should at this time have been in possession of a most valuable living had it not pleased the gentleman we were speaking of just now. Indeed, Yes, the great Mr. Dorothy bequeathed me the next presentation of the best living in his gift. He was my godfather, and exceedingly attached to me. I cannot do justice to his kindness. He meant to provide me for ample and thought he had done it, but when the living fell, it was given elsewhere. Good heavens, cried Elizabeth, but how could that be? How could this be well regarded? Why did you not seek legal regress? There was just an informality in the terms of the bequest as to give me hope from law. A man with honor could not have doubtedly the intention, but Mr. Darcy chose to doubt it, or to treat it as merely conditional recommendation, and to assert that I had forfeited all claim to it by extravagance imprudence, in short, anything or nothing. Certain... It is that the living became vacant two years ago, exactly as I was of age to hold it, and that it was given to another man, and no less certain it is that I cannot accuse myself of having really done anything to deserve to lose it. I have a warm, unguarded temper, and I may have spoken my opinion of him and to him too freely. I can recall nothing worse. But the fact is that we are very different sort of men, and that he hates me. This is quite shocking. He deserves to be publicly disgraced. Sometime or other he will be, but it shall not be by me. Elizabeth honored him for such feelings, and thought him handsomer than ever as he expressed them. But what, she said after a pause, could have been his motive? What could have induced him to behave so cruelly? A thorough, determined dislike of me, a dislike which I cannot but attribute in some measure to jealousy. Had the late mister Darcy liked me less, his son might be born with me much better, but his father's uncommon attachment to me irritated him, I believe, very early in life. He had not a temper to bear the sort of competition in which we stood, the sort of preference which was often given to me. I had not thought mister Darcy so bad at this, though I have never liked him. I had not thought so very ill of him. I had supposed him to be despising of his fellow creatures in general, but did not suspect him of descending to such malicious revenge, such injustice, such inhumanity at this. After a few minutes' reflection, however, she continued, I do remember his boasting one day at Netherfield, in the implacity of his resentments, of having an unforgiving temper, his disposition must be dreadful. I will not trust myself on the subject, replied Wickham. I can hardly be just to him. Elizabeth was again in deep thought, and after a time exclaimed, to treat in such a manner the godson, the friend, the favorite of his father, she could have added, a young man too, like you, whose very countenance may vouch for your being admirable, But she contented with herself, and one, too, who had probably seen this companion from childhood, connected together, as I think you said, in the closest manner. We were born in the same parish, within the same park, and the greatest of our youth was passed together, intimates at the same house, sharing the same amusements, objections at the same parental care. My father began life in the with your uncle mr phelps appears to do so much credit to it but he gave up everything to be of use to the late mr darcy and devoted all of his time to the care of Pemberley property he was most highly esteemed by mr darcy a most intimate confidential friend mr darcy often acknowledged himself to be under the greatest obligations to my father's active in superintendence and when, immediately before my father's death, Mr. Darcy gave him a voluntary promise of providing for me, I am convinced that he felt it to be as much in debt of gratitude to him as his affection to myself. How strange, cried Elizabeth, how abominable. I wonder that the very pride of Mr. Darcy has not made him just to you if from no better motive that he should not have been too proud to be dishonest, for dishonesty I must call it. It is wonderful, replied Wickham, for almost all his actions may be traced to pride, and pride has often been his best friend. It has connected him nearer with virtue than with any other feeling. But we are none of us consistent, and his behavior to me there were stronger impulses than pride. Can such an abominable pride as his have ever done him good? Yes, it often led him to be liberal and generous, to give his money freely, to display hospitality, to assist his tenants, and relieve the poor. Family pride and filial pride, for he is very proud of what his father was, have done this. Not to appear to disgrace his family, to denigrate from popular qualities or the loose influence of the Primley house, which is a powerful motive. He also has brotherly pride, which some brotherly affection makes him a very kind and careful guardian of his sister. And you will hear him generally cried up as the most attentive and best of his brothers. What sort of girl is Miss Darcy? He shook his head. I wish I could call her admirable. It gives me pain to speak ill of a Darcy, but she is too much like her brother, very, very proud. As a child she was affectionate and pleasing, and extremely fond of me, and I have devoted hours and hours to her amusement. But she is nothing to me now. She is a handsome girl, about fifteen or sixteen, and, I understand, highly accomplished. Since her father's death, her home has been London, where a lady lives with her and superintends her education. After many pauses and many trials of other subjects, Elizabeth could not help reverting once more to the first and saying, I am astonished at his intimacy of Mr. Bingley. How can Mr. Bingley, who seems good humor itself, and is, I really believe, truly admirable, be a friend with such a man? How can they suit each other? Do you know Mr. Bingley? Not at all. He is a sweet-tempered, amiable, charming man. He cannot know what Mr. Darcy is. Probably not, but Mr. Darcy can please wherever he chooses. He does not want abilities. He can be a conversable companion if he thinks it worth his while. Among those who are at his equals, in consequence, he is a very different man from what he is to the less prosperous. The whilst party soon afterwards breaking up, the players gathered around the other table, and Mr. Collins took his station between his cousin Elizabeth and Mrs. Phelps. The usual inquiries as to his success was made by the latter. It had not been very great. He had lost every point. But when Miss Phelps began to express her concern thereupon, he assured her with much earnest gravity that it was not of the least importance, that he considered the money as a mere trifle and begged that she would not make herself uneasy. I know very well, madam, he said, that when persons sit down to a card table, they must take their chances of these things, and happily I will not in such circumstances as to make five shillings in any object. There are undoubtedly many who could not say the same. But thanks to Lady Catherine de Burr, I am removed far beyond the necessity of regarding little matters. Mr. Wickham's attention was caught, and after observing Mr. Collins for a few moments, he asked Elizabeth in a low voice whether her relation was very intimately acquainted with the family of de Burr. Lady Catherine de Burr, she replied, has very lately given him a living. I hardly know how Mr. Collins was first to her notice, but he certainly has not known her long. You know, of course, that Lady Catherine de Burr and Lady Anne Darcy were sisters, and consequently that she is an aunt to the present Mr. Darcy. No, indeed I did not. I knew nothing at all of Lady Catherine's connections. I never heard her existence till the day before yesterday. Her daughter, Miss de Burr, will have a very large fortune. It is believed that she and her cousin will unite the two estates. This information made Elizabeth smile, as she thought of poor Miss Bingley. Vain, indeed, must be all her attentions. Vain and useless her affection for his sister, and praise her for himself. He was already self-destined for another. Mr. Collins, she spoke, speaks highly of Lady Catherine and her daughter, "'but from some peculiarities that he has related to her ladyship, "'I suspect his gratitude misleads him. "'I believe her to be both in a great degree,' replied Wickham. "'I have not seen her for many years, "'but I very well remember that I never liked her "'and that her manners were very dictatorial and insolent. "'She has the reputation of being remarkably sensible and clever,' but I rather believe she decries part of her abilities from her rank and fortune, part of her authoritative manner, and the rest from the pride for her nephew, who chooses that everyone connected with him should have an understanding of the first class. Elizabeth allowed that he had given a very rational account of it, and they continued talking together with mutual satisfaction till supper put an end to cards, and gave the rest of the ladies their share of there could be no conversation in the noise of Miss Phelps' supper party, but his manners recommended him to everybody. What he said, he said well. Whatever he did, done gracefully, Elizabeth went away with her head full of him. She could think nothing but Mr. Wickham and what he had told her all the way home. But there was not time for even to mention his name as they went, for neither Lydia nor Mr. Collins were once silent. Lydia talked increasingly of lottery tickets, of the fish she had lost and the fish she had won, and Mr. Collins, in describing the civility of Mr. and Mrs. Phelps, protesting he did not in the least regard his losses whilst, encumbering all the dishes at supper, and repeatedly fearing that he crowded his cousins, had more to say than he could well manage before the carriage stopped at the long house. Chapter 17 Elizabeth related to Jane the next day what had passed between Mr. Wickham and herself. Jane listened with astonishment and concern. She knew not how to believe that Mr. Darcy could be so unworthy of Mr. Bingley's regard, and yet it was not within her nature to question the veracity of a young man with such admirable appearance as Mr. Wickham. The possibility of having his endured such kindness was enough to interest all her tender feelings. And nothing remained, therefore, to be done, but to think well of them both, to defend the conduct of either, and to throw the account of accident or mistake or whatever could not otherwise be explained. They have both, she said, been deceived, I dare say, in some way or another, of which we can form no idea. Interested people have perhaps misrepresented to each other. It is, in short, impossible for us to conjecture the causes or circumstances which may have alienated them, without the actual blame on either side. Very true indeed, and now, my dear Jane, what do you got to say on behalf of the interested people who probably have been concerned in the business? Do clear them, too, or we shall be obliged to think ill of someone. Laugh as you choose, but you will not laugh me out of my opinion. My dearest Lizzie... Do but consider in what a disgraceful light it places Mr. Darcy to be treating his father's favorite in such a manner, one of whom his father had promised to provide for. It is impossible. No man of common humility, no man who had any value for his character could be capable of it. Can his most intimate friends be so excessively deceived on him? Oh, no. I can much more easily believe Mr. Bingley being imposed on than that Mr. Wickham should invent such a history of himself as he gave me last night. Names, facts, everything mentioned, without ceremony. If it is not to be so, let Mr. Darcy contradict it. Besides, there is truth in his looks. It is difficult indeed. It is distressing. One does not know what to think. I beg your pardon, one knows exactly what to think. But Jane could think with certainty on only one point. He had been imposed on, would have much to suffer when the affair became public. The two young ladies were summoned from the shrubbery where this conversation paused, by the arrival of the very persons of whom they had been speaking. Mr. Bingley and his sisters came to give their personal invitation for the long-expected ball at Netherfield, which was fixed for the following Tuesday. The ladies were delighted to see their dear friend again, called it an age since they had met, and repeatedly asked what she had been doing with herself since their separation. To the rest of the family, they paid little attention, avoiding Miss Bennet as much as possible, saying not much to Elizabeth, and nothing at all to the others. They were soon gone, again rising from their seats with an activity which took their brother by surprise, and hurrying off as a meager to escape from Miss Bennet's civilties. The prospect of the Netherfield Ball was extremely agreeable to every female at the house. Miss Bennet chose to consider it given as a compliment to her eldest daughter, who was particularly flattered by receiving the invitation from Mr. Bingley himself, instead of a ceremonious card. Jane pictured to herself a happy evening in the society with her two friends and the attentions of her brother. And Elizabeth thought with pleasure of dancing a great deal of Mr. Wickham and seeing a confirmation of everything in Mr. Darcy's look and behavior. The happiness anticipated by Catherine and Lydia depended less on any single event or any particular person. For they each, like Elizabeth, meant to dance half the evening with Mr. Wickham and by was no means the only partner who could satisfy them. And the ball was a ball, at any rate, a ball, even though Mary could assure her family that she had no disinclination for it. "'While I have my mornings to myself,' said she, "'it is enough. I think it is of no sacrifice to join occasionally in the evening engagements. "'Society has claims on us all, and I profess myself one of those who consider the intervals of recreation and amusement as desirable for everybody.' Elizabeth's spirits were so high on this occasion that though she did not often speak unnecessarily to Mr. Collins, she could not help asking him whether he intended to accept Mr. Bingley's invitation, and if he did, whether he would think it proper to join him in the evening's amusement. And she was rather surprised to find that he had entertained no scruple whatsoever on that head, and was very far from dreading a rebuke from either the art. Bishop or Lady Catherine de Burr by venturing to dance. I am by no means of the opinion, I assure you, he said, that a ball of this kind given by a young man of character is to respectable people can have any evil tendency. I am so far from objecting to dancing myself that I hope to be honored with the hands of all my fair cousins in the course of the evening and I take this opportunity of soliciting yours, Miss Elizabeth, for the first two dances especially, a preference which I trust my cousin Jane will attribute to the right cause and not to any disrespect for her. Elizabeth felt herself completely taken in. She had fully proposed to be engaged by Mr. Wickham for those very dances, and to have Mr. Collins instead. Her liveliness had never been worse timed. There was no help for it, however. Mr. Wickham's happiness and her own were perforce delayed a little longer, and Mr. Collins' proposal accepted with as good of grace as she could. She was not better pleased with his gallantry from the idea as suggested of something more. It now first struck her that she was selected from among her sisters as worthy of being mistress of Huntsford Parsonage. And of assisting to form a quadrille table at Rosing's in the absence of more eligible visitors, the idea soon reached the convention, as she observed in his increasingly civilties towards herself, and heard his frequent attempt at a compliment on her wit and vivacity and though more astonished than gratified herself by this effect of her charms, it was not long enough before her mother gave her to understand the probability of their marriage extremely agreeable to her. Elizabeth, however, did not choose to take the hint, being well aware that a serious dispute must be the consequence of any reply. Mr. Collins might never make the offer. Till he did, it was useless to quarrel about him. If there had not been another field ball to prepare for and talk of, the younger Miss Bennetts would have been in a very pitiable state at this time. For from the day of the invitation to the day of the ball, there was such an accession of rain and prevented their walking to Merrington once. No aunt, no officers, no news could be sought after. The very shoe roses for another field were gotten by proxy. Even Elizabeth might have found some trial of her patience in weather which totally suspended the improvement of her acquaintance with Mr. Wickham, and nothing less than a dance on Tuesday could have made such a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday endurable to Kitty and Lydia. Chapter 18 Till Elizabeth entered the drawing-room at Netherfield, and looked in vain for Mr. Wickham among the cluster of red coats there assembled a doubt on his being present had never occurred to her. The certainty of meeting him had not been checked by any of those recollections that might not unreasonably have alarmed her. She had dressed with more than the usual care and prepared in the highest spirits for the conquest that all remained unsettled of his heart, trusting that it was not more than he might be won in the course of the evening. But in an instant dreadful suspicion of his purposely admitted for mr darcy's pleasure in the bingley's invitation to the officers and though this was not exactly the case the absolute fact of his absence was pronounced by his friend denny to whom lydia eagerly applied and who told them that wickerman had been obligated to go down town on business the day before and was not yet returned adding with a significant smile I do not imagine his business would have called him away just now if he had not wanted to avoid a certain gentleman here. This part of his intelligence, though unheard by Lydia, was caught by Elizabeth, and, as it assured her that Darcy was not least answerable for Wickham's absence, then, if her first surmise had been just, every feeling of displeasure against the former was so sharpened by the immediate disappointment that she could hardly reply with a tolerable civility to polite inquiries which he directed afterwards approach to make. Attendance, forbearance, patience with Darcy, was injury to Wickham. She was resolved against any sort of conversation with him, and turned away with the degree of ill-humor which she could not wholly surmount even in speaking to Mr. Bingley, whose blind partiality provoked her. But Elizabeth was not foreign for ill-humour, and though every aspect of her own was destroyed for the evening, it could not dwell long on her spirits, and having told her all her griefs to Charlotte Lucas, whom she had not seen for a week, she was soon able to make a voluntary transition to the oddities of her cousin, and to point him out to her particular notice. The first two dances, however, brought a turn of distress. They were dances of mortification." Mr. Collins, awkward and solemn, apologizing instead of attending, and often moving wrong without being aware of it, gave her all the shame and misery which a disagreeable partner for a couple of dances can give. The moment of her release from him was ecstasy. She danced next with an officer and had the refreshment of talking with Wickham and hearing that he was universally like. When those dances was over, she returned to Charlotte Lucas and was in conversations with her when she found herself suddenly addressed by Mr. Darcy, who took her so much by surprise in his application of her hand that, without knowing what she did, she accepted him. He walked away again immediately, and she was left to fret over her own want of presence of mind. Charlotte tried to console her. I dare say you will find him very agreeable. Heaven forbid, that would be the greatest misfortune of all, to find a man agreeable whom one is determined to hate. Do not wish me such an evil. When the dancing recommended, however, and Darcy approached to claim her hand, Charlotte would not help cautioning her in a whisper not to be a simpleton, and allow her fancy for Wickham to take her appear unpleasant in the eyes of a man ten times his consequence. Elizabeth made no answer and took her place in the set, amazed at the dignity to which she arrived in being allowed to stand the opposite of Mr. Darcy, and reading in her neighbor's looks their equal amazement beholding it. They stood for some time without speaking a word, and she began to imagine that their silence was about to last through the two dances, and at first it was resolved not to break it. "'Till suddenly fancying that it would be the greater punishment to her partner to oblige him to talk, "'she made some slight observation on the dance. "'He replied and was silent again. "'After a pause of some minutes, she addressed him a second time with, "'It is your turn to say something now, Mr. Darcy. "'I talked about the dance. "'You ought to make some sort of remark on the size of the room or the number of couples.' He smiled, and assured her that whatever she wished him to say should be said. Very well, that reply will do for the present. Perhaps by and by I may observe that private balls are much pleasanter than public ones. But now we may be silent. Do you talk by rule, then, while you are dancing? Sometimes, one must speak a little, you know. It would look odd to be entirely silent for a half-hour together and yet for the advantages of some conversation ought to be arranged as so they may have the trouble of saying as little as possible. Are you consulting your own feelings in the present case, or do you imagine that you are gratifying mine? Both, replied Elizabeth Arkley, for I have always seen a great similarity in the turns of our minds. We are each from an unsocial tactum disposition, unwilling to speak unless we expect to say something that will amaze the whole room and will be handed down to posterity with all the eclat of a proverb. "'There is no striking resemblance of your own character, I am sure,' he said. "'How near it may be to mine, I cannot pretend to say. You think it is a faithful portrait, no doubtably. I must not decide on my own performance.' He made no answer, and they were again silent till they had gone down the dance. And when he asked her if she and her sisters did not very often walk to Meryton, she answered in the affirmative, and, unable to resist the temptation, added, When you met us there the other day, we had just been forming a new acquaintance. The effect was immediate. A deeper shade of hauteur overspread his features, but said not a word, and Elizabeth, though blaming herself for her own weakness, could not go on. At length, Dorothy spoke in a constrained manner, said, Mr. Wickham is blessed with such happy manners as he may ensure his making friends, whether he may be equally capable of retaining them is less certain. He has been so unlucky to lose your friendship, replied Elizabeth with emphasis, and in a manner which he is likely to suffer from all his life. Darcy made no answer, and seemed desirous of changing the subject. At that moment, Sir William Lucas appeared close to them, meeting the pass-through to set to the other side of the room, but on perceiving Mr. Darcy, he stopped with a bow of superiority curtsy to compliment him on his dancing and his partner. I have been most highly gratified indeed, my dear sir, Such as very superior dancing is not often seen. It is evident to you belong to the first circles. Allow me to say, however, that your fair partner does not disgrace you, and that I must hope to have his pleasure often repeated, especially when a certain desirable event, my dear Eliza, glancing at her sister and Bingley, shall take place. What congratulations will then flow in? I appeal to Mr. Darcy— "'But let me not introduce you, sir. "'You will not thank me for detaining you "'from this bewitching converse of that young lady "'whose bright eyes were also unabrading me.' "'The latter part of his address was scarcely heard by Darcy, "'but Sir William's allusion to his friend "'seemed to strike him forcibly, "'and his eyes were directed with a very serious expression "'towards Bingley and Jane, who were dancing together.' Recovering himself, however, shortly, he turned to his partner and said, Sir William's interruption has made me forget what we were talking about. I do not think we were speaking at all. Sir William could have interrupted two people in the room who had less to say for themselves. We have tried two or three subjects already without success, and what we are to talk about next I cannot imagine. What do you think of books? He said, smiling. Books? Oh, no. I am sure we never read the same, or not with the same feelings. I am sorry you think so. But if that be the case, there can at least be no want of subject. We can compare our different opinions. No, I cannot talk of books in a ballroom. My head is always full of something else. The present always occupies you in such scenes, does it? He said, with a look, of doubt. Yes, always, she replied, without knowing what she said— for her thoughts had wandered far from the subject. And soon afterwards, apparently, by her sudden exclaiming, I remember hearing you once say, Mr. Darcy, that you hardly ever forgave, that your resentment once created was unappeasable. You were very cautious, I suppose, as to being created. I am, said he with a firm voice, and never allow yourself to be blinded by prejudice. I hope not. It is particularly incumbent on those who never change their opinion to be so sure a judgment properly at first. May I ask what to these questions tend? Merely to illustrate of your character, she said, enduring the shake off her gravity. I am trying to make it out. And what is your success? She shook her head. I do not get on at all. I hear such different accounts of you as puzzle me exceedingly. I can readily believe, answered he gravely, that reports may vary greatly with respect to me, and I wish, Miss Bennet, that you were not to sketch my character at the present moment, as there is no real reason to fear that the performance would reflect no credit on either. But if I do not take your likeness now, I may never have another opportunity i would by no means suspend any pleasure of yours he coldly replied she said no more and they went down to the other dance and parted in silence and on each side dissatisfied though not to an equal degree for in darcy's breast there was a tolerable powerful feeling towards her which soon procured her pardon and directed all of his anger against another they had not long separated when Miss Bingley came towards her with an expression of civil disdain accosted her. "'So, Miss Eliza, I hear you are quite delighted with George Wickham. Your sister has been talking to me about him and asking me a thousand questions, and I find the young man quite forgot to tell you, among his other communication, that he were the son of old Wickham, the late Mr. Darcy stuart Stewart.' Let me recommend you, however, as a friend, not to give implicit confidence to all of his assertions. As for using Mr. Darcy's using him ill, it is perfectly false, for, on the contrary, he has always been remarkably kind to him, though George Wickham has treated Mr. Darcy in the most infamous manner. I do not know the peculiars, but I know very well that Mr. Darcy is not the least to blame that he cannot bear to hear George Wickham mentioned, and that though my brother thought that he could not well avoid including him this invitation to the officers, he was exceedingly glad to find that he had taken himself out of the way. I pity you, Eliza, for this discovery of your favorite's guilt, but really, considering his descent, one could not expect so much better. "'His guilt and his descent appear to be by your account the same,' said Elizabeth, angrily. "'for I have heard you accuse him of nothing worse than being the son of Mr. Darcy Stewart, "'and of that I can assure you he informed me himself.' "'I beg your pardon,' replied Miss Bingley, turning away with a sneer. "'Excuse my interference. It was kindly met.' "'Insolent girl,' said Elizabeth to herself. "'You are as much mistaken if you expect to influence me by such a paltry attack at this.' "'I see nothing in it, except your own willful ignorance of the malice of Mr. Darcy.' "'She then sought her eldest sister, who has undertaken to make inquiries on the same subject of Bingley. "'Janet met her with a smile of such sweet compliance, a glow of such happy expression, "'as sufficiently marked how well she was satisfied with the occurrences of the evening.' Elizabeth instantly read her feelings, and at that moment solitude for Wickham, resentment against his enemies, and everything else gave way before the hopes of Jane being the fairest way for happiness. "'I want to know,' she said with a countenance no less smiling than her sister's, "'what you have learned about Mr. Wickham. "'But perhaps you have been too pleasantly engaged to think of any third person, in which case you may be sure of my pardon.' "'No,' replied Jane, "'I have not forgotten about him, but I have nothing satisfactory to tell you.' Mr. Bingley does not know the whole of his history, and is quite ignorant of the circumstances which have principally offended Mr. Darcy, but he will vouch for the good conduct, the and the honor of his friend, and is perfectly convinced that Mr. Wickham has deserved much less attention from Mr. Darcy than he has received. And I am sorry to say by his account as well as his sister's, Mr. Wickham is by no means a respectable young man, I am afraid he has been very improvenent and has deserved to lose Mr. Darcy's regard. Mr. Bingley does not know Mr. Wickham himself. No, he has never saw him till the other morning at Meryton. This account, then, is what he has received from Darcy. I am satisfied, but what does he say of the living? He does not exactly recollect the circumstances, though he has heard them from Mr. Darcy more than once, "'but he believes that it was left to him conditionally only.' "'I have not a doubt of Mr. Bingley's sincerity,' said Elizabeth warmly, "'but you must excuse my not being convinced by assurances only. "'Mr. Bingley's defense of his friend was a very able one, I dare say, "'but since he is unacquainted with several parts of the story "'and has learnt the rest from that friend himself, "'I shall venture to still think above gentlemen as I did before.' she then changed the discourse to one more gratifying to each on which there could be no difference of sentiment elizabeth listened with delight to be happy though modest hopes which jane entertained mr bingley's regard and said all in her power to heighten her confidence in it on their being joined by mr bingley himself elizabeth withdrew to miss lucas to whose inquiry after the pleasantness of her last partner she had scarcely replied, before Mr. Collins came up to them and told her with great exclusion that he had just been so fortunate as to make a most important discovery. I have found out, he said, by singular accident, that there is now in the room a near relation of my patroness. I happen to overhear the gentleman himself mentioning to the young lady who does the honors of the house, the names of his cousin, Miss De Burr, and her mother, Lady Catherine. How wonderful these sorts of things occur! Who would have thought of my meeting with, perhaps, a nephew of Lady Catherine De Burr in this assembly? I am most thankful that the discovery is made in a time for me to pay my respects to him, which now I am going to do, and trust that he will excuse my not having done it before." My total ignorance of the connection must plead my apology. Indeed I am. I shall entreat his pardon for not having done it earlier. I believe him to be Lady Catherine's nephew. It will be in my power to assure him that ladyship was quite well yesterday's night. Elizabeth tried hard to dissuade him from such a scheme, assuring him that Mr. Darcy would consider his addressing him without the introduction as an impertinent freedom, rather than a compliment to his aunt that it was not in the least necessary there should be any notice on either side, and that, if it were, it must belong to Mr. Darcy, superior in consequence, to begin the acquaintance. Mr. Collins listened to her with the determination of error following his own inclination, and, when she ceased speaking, thus replied, My dear Elizabeth, I have the highest opinion in the world of your excellent judgment in all matters within the scope of your understanding. But permit me to say, there must be a wide difference between the established forms of ceremony among the latent, and those which regulate the clergy, for give me leave to observe that I consider the clerical office as an equal point of dignity with the highest rank in the kingdom, provided that a proper humility of behavior is at the same time maintained. You must, therefore, allow me to follow the dictates of my conscience on this occasion, which leads me to perform what I look on as a point of duty. Pardon me for neglecting to profit by your advice, which on every other subject shall be my constant guide, though in the case before us I will consider myself more fitted by education and habitual study to decide on what is right than a young lady like yourself. With a low bow he left her to attack Mr. Darcy, whose reception of his advances she eagerly watched, and who astonishment, in so well-dressed, it was very evident. Her cousin prefaced this speech with a solemn bow, and though she could not hear a word of it, she felt as if hearing it at all, and saw in the motion with his lips the words, Apology, Hunsford, and Lady Catherine Dubar. It vexed her to see him expose himself to such a man, Mr. Darcy was eyeing him with unrestrained wonder, and when at last Mr. Collins allowed him to speak, replied with an air of distant civility. And Mr. Collins, however, was not discouraged from speaking again, and Mr. Darcy's contempt seemed abundantly increasing with the length of his second speech, and at the end of it he could only make a slight bow and moved another way. Mr. Collins then returned to Elizabeth. I have no reason, I assure you, he said, to be dissatisfied of my reception. Mr. Darcy seemed much pleased with the attention. He answered me with the utmost civility, and even paid me the compliment of saying that he was so well convinced of Lady Catherine's discernment as to be certain she could never bestow a favor unworthily. It really was a handsome thought. Upon the whole, I am much pleased with him. As Elizabeth had no longer any interest of her own to pursue, she turned her attention almost entirely on her sister and Mister Bingley, and the train of agreeable reflections which her observations gave birth to, which made her perhaps almost as happy as Jane, we saw her in an ideal settled in that very house, in all the felicity which a marriage and a true affection could bestow, and she felt capable under such circumstances of enduring even to like Bingley's two sisters. Her mother's thoughts she plainly saw were bent the same way, and she determined not to venture near her, lest she might hear too much. When they sat down to supper, therefore, she considered it a most unlikely preservedness which placed them within one of each other, and deeply she was vexed to find her mother was talking to that one person, Lady Lucas, freely, openly, and of nothing else but her expectation that Jane would soon be married to Mr. Bingley. It was an animating subject, and Miss Bennet seemed to be incapable of fatigue while enumerating the advantages of the match. His being such a charming young man, so rich and living but three miles from them, was the first points of self-regulation. And then it was such a comfort to think how fond the two sisters were of Jane, and to be certain that they must desire the connection as much as she could. It was, moreover, such a promising thing for her younger daughters, as Jane marrying so greatly must throw them in the way of other rich men, and lastly it was so pleasant at her time of life to be able to consign her single daughters to the care of their sister, that she might not be obligated to go into company more than she liked. It was necessity to make the circumstances a matter of pleasure, because on such occasions it is the etiquette, but no one was less likely than Miss Bennet to find comfort in staying home at any period of her life. She concluded with many good wishes that Lady Lucas might be soon equally fortunate, though evidently and triumphantly believing there was no chance of it. In vain did Elizabeth endure to check the rapidity of her mother's words, or persuade her to describe her felicity in a less audible whisper. For, to her inexpressible vexation, she could perceive that the chief of it was overheard by mister Darcy, who sat opposite to them. Her mother only scolded her for being nonsensical. What is mister Darcy to me, pray, that I should be afraid of him? I am sure we ought him no particular civility as being obliged to say nothing he may not like to hear. For heaven's sake, madam, speak lower. What advantage can it be for you to offend Mr Darcy? You will never recommend yourself to his friend by doing so. Nothing that she could say, however, had any influence. Her mother would talk of her views in the same intelligible tone. Elizabeth blushed and blushed again with shame and vexation. She could not help frequently glancing her eye at Mr. Darcy, who at every glance convinced her of what she dreaded, for though he was not always looking at her mother, she was convinced that his attention was invariably fixed by her. The expression on his face changed gradually from ignorant content to composed and steady gravity. At length, however, Miss Bennet had no more to say, and Lady Lucas, who had been very long yawning at the repetition of delights which she saw no likelihood of sharing, was left to the comforts of cold ham and chicken. Elizabeth now began to revive. But not long was the interval of tranquility for, when supper was over, singing was talked of, and she had the mortification of seeing Mary, after very little entreaty, preparing to oblige the company. By many significant looks and silent entreaties, she did endure to prevent such a proof of compliance, but in vain. Mary would not understand them. Such an opportunity of exhibiting was delightful to her, and she began her song. Elizabeth's eyes were fixed on her with the most painful sensations, and she watched her progress through the several stanzas with an impatience which was very ill-rewarded at their close. For Mary, on receiving amongst the thanks at the table, the hint of a hope that she might be prevailed on to favor them again, after the pause of half a minute began another. Mary's powers were by no means fitted for such a display. Her voice was too weak, and her manner affected— Elizabeth was in agonies. She looked to Jane to see how she bore it. Jane was very composed and talking to Bingley. She looked at his two sisters and saw them making signs of derision at each other, and at Darcy, who continued, however, imperturbably grave. He looked at her father to entreat his interference, lest Mary should be singing all night, he took the hint, and when Mary had finished her second song, said aloud, that will do extremely well, child, you have delighted us all long enough, let the other young ladies have time to exhibit. Mary, though pretending not to hear, somewhat disconcerted, and Elizabeth, sorry for her, and sorry for her father's speech, was afraid her anxiety had done no good. Others at the party were now applied to. If I, said Mr. Collins, were so fortunate as to be able to sing, I should have a great pleasure, for I, in obliging the company with an air, for I consider music as a very innocent diversion, and perfectly compatible with the profession of a clergyman. I do not mean, however, to assert that we can be justified in devoting too much of our time to music, for there are certainly other things to be attended to. The rector of a parish has most to do." In the first place, he must take such an agreement for tithes and may be beneficial to himself and not offend his patron. He must write his own sermons, and the time that remains will not be too much of his parish duties and take care of the improvement of his dwelling, which he cannot be excused from making as comfortable as possible. And I do not think it light important that he should have attention and conciliatory manner towards everyone, especially towards those whom he owns his improvement. I could not acquit him of that duty, nor could I think well of the man who would admit an occasion of testifying his respect towards any one connected with the family. And with the bow to Mr. Darcy, he included his speech, which had been spoken so loud as to be heard by half the room. Many stared, many smiled, but no one looked more amused than Mr. Bennett himself. While his wife seriously commended Mr Collins for having spoken so sensibly and observed in a half whisper to Lady Lucas that he was a remarkably clever, good kind of young man. To Elizabeth it appeared that had her family made an agreement to expose themselves as much as they could during the evening, it would have been impossible for them to play their parts so with a more spirit or finer success, and that his feelings were not of a sort to be much distressed by the folly which he must have witnessed. That his two sisters and Mr. Darcy, however, should have an opportunity of ridiculing her relations was bad enough, and she could not determine whether the silent contempt of the gentlemen or the insolent smiles of the ladies were more intolerable. The rest of the evening brought her little amusement. She was teased by Mr. Collins, who continued most perseveringly by her side, and though he could not prevail on her to dance with him again— put it out of her power to dance with others. In vain, she did entreat him to stand with somebody else, and offer to introduce him to any young lady in the room. He assured her that, as to dancing, he was perfectly indifferent to it, that his chief object was by delicate intentions to recommend himself to her, and that he should therefore make a point of reclining close to her the whole evening. There was no arguing upon such a project. She owed her greatest relief to her friend Miss Lucas, who often joined them, and good-naturedly engaged Mr. Collins' conversations to herself. She was at least free from the offense of Mr. Darcy's further notice. Though often standing within a very short distance of her, quite disengaged, he never came near enough to speak. She felt it to be the probable consequence of her allusions to Mr. Wickham, and rejoiced in it. The Longburn party were the last of all the company to depart, and, by a maneuver of Miss Bennett, had to wait for their carriage a quarter of an hour after everyone else was gone, which gave them time to see how heartily they were wished away by some of the family. Miss Hertz and her sister scarcely opened their mouths, except to complain of fatigue, and were evidently impatient to have the house to themselves. They repulsed at every attempt of Miss Bennet at conversation, and by doing so threw a legore over the whole party, which was very little relieved by the long speeches of Mr. Collins, who was complimenting Mr. Bingley and his sisters on the elegance of their entertainment, and the hospitality and the politeness which had marked their behavior to their guests. Darcy said nothing at all. Mr. Bennet, in equal science, was enjoying the scene. Mr. Bingley and Jane were standing together, a little detached from the rest, and talking only to each other. Elizabeth preserved as steadily a silence as either Miss Hertz or Miss Bingley, and even Lydia was too much fatigued to utter more than the occasional exclamation of, Lord, how tired I am, accompanied by a violent yawn. When at length they arose to take leave, Miss Bennet was the most pressingly civil in her hopes of seeing the whole family soon at Longbourn. They addressed herself, especially to Mr. Bingley, to ensure how happy he would make them by eating a family dinner with them at any time, without the ceremony of a formal invitation. Bingley was all grateful pleasure, and he readily engaged for taking the earliest opportunity of waiting on her, and after his return from London, whether he was obliged to go the next day for a short time. Mrs. Bennet was perfectly satisfied, and quitted the house under the delightful persuasion that, allowing for the necessary preparations of settlements, new carriages, and wedding clothes, she should undoubtedly see her daughter settled at another field in the course of three or four months. Of having another daughter married to Mr. Collins, she thought with equal certainty, and with consideration, though not equal, pleasure. Elizabeth was the least dear to her of all her children, and though the man and the match were quite good enough for her, the worth of each was eclipsed by Mr. Bingley and Netherfield."